0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Matterhorn Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kathleen Waller. Here we have conversations about cultural studies, the arts, and writing. If you want to sign up to my Substack newsletter for free, just click on the link in this homepage. Today I'm speaking with Jacqueline Lung about what it means to be an artist. Jacqueline is an award winning pianist based in Hong Kong. She has performed and taught on four continents, and as a passionate chamber musician, she is a founding member of the Phoenix Quartet. Jacqueline has a particular interest in unearthing and presenting lesser-known works, in particular compositions by women composers. She has written articles on these topics, and to date, she has recorded three solo albums with themes ranging from 1920s New York to Winter in Buenos Aires. I've got links to her website and recordings on the episode page. So, Jackie, welcome to the Matterhorn Podcast. You're actually my first guest. I'm so excited. Thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, it's so good to see you. Um, For our listeners, Jackie and I met back in 2009, which is ages ago now, um, when we were doing an MA in Literary and Cultural Studies at the Department of Comparative Literature at Hong Kong University. Um, And we'd already been talking about doing a podcast Together, when Jackie saw an Instagram post of this this book that I was reading um, called "Tell Me an Artist," "Tell Me I'm an Artist" by Chelsea Martin, um, and it gave you an idea to talk about what it means to be an artist. Um, so I thought, let's talk about your artistry first, and then we can go to the kind of bigger philosophical question. Um, maybe it connects back to your artistry. Um, is mm-hmm. that okay with you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sure.
0: Great. Okay. So I remember at the time I met you in grad school, way back when, um, yeah. you were making some big changes in your career um, as a pianist. And mm-hmm. can you tell me about that change in your direction and why you made those choices?
1: I guess at that point, I was um, maybe in the transition stage, you know, just kind of graduated well, from my music master's degree for a while but I wasn't really sure what I was good at or like um maybe like there was no signature yet to who I am as a pianist and I think um during my studies of the comparative literature I was like in that zone just trying to find myself find my place in the piano scene especially in Hong Kong because it's always been very competitive because there's so many people who who play the piano and, and um, you know, so, and then I I gradually discovered that I really like making music more accessible and I like talking to audiences. So I started to do that and think more about programming instead of just playing all the, you know, so-called famous works because I wanted to bring a different angle to myself. Like, for example, like I would be someone who thinks outside the box. I don't only just play Bach and Beethoven and Chopin. I wanted to, um, people to think that I'm, you know, I'm open to discovering more things and I'm not afraid to kind of delve into the unknown kind of repertoire zone, I guess.
0: Cool. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing you at several concerts, um, back then in in like really different venues, playing really different genres of music. And what was really yeah. interesting is that it wasn't just the the intimate, the more casual venues when you talked to the audience. it was also um, in the grand concert hall. and you know you always had really interesting things to say, bringing a personal spin, but also doing research on the music. So um, yeah. I mean, do you, did that come from sort of what you were studying in grad school or were there other influences? How did you I think start It
1: definitely kicked into action when I was doing my masters in the states because when I was doing my undergrad I was I guess I I've, I've always been talented in piano and music I know that but I didn't really dig that deep it was just like something I I was good at you know mm-hmm. but obviously in London where I studied it was very competitive but I kind of didn't really know how I could really break out from the crowd or whatever but when I did my grad school studies in the states I had a lot of time because my, my parents didn't let me drive which meant I spent a lot of time on campus in the library and practicing and it was then maybe I just spent a lot of time you know on on the piano and in and, and music itself and I actually finally started to read books on music before, uh-huh. I'm like, oh, when I finish practicing, I'm going shopping or partying or hanging out with right. friends. I'm not doing th- anything more with music. But when I was kind of forced into that situation, I found like, wow, I now I really understand why this art form is great. Why I, you know, now I understand why this work is great. Or I found out much more background about the composers and the connections between them. And I just found it fascinating. And I guess... That was when I really truly fell in love with music. And and that's the so piano. interesting. I yeah. lo- I love <laughs> that
0: you connect it to not being able to drive. I mean, actually in America, you yeah. know, that would be a huge thing. That changes your whole world, except yeah. for maybe New York City. Um, you know, yeah. which is more like <laughs> Hong Kong, very connected, right, with the trains yeah. and whatnot. But yeah, yeah, that would just change your whole daily life. So that's funny
1: that I guess it was good for me. I I needed mm-hmm. to practice like where could I go I could walk to a supermarket but you know that's about it yeah. it wasn't yeah. like in London where I could just basically I was st- um studying in central London within five minutes walk I'm in you know Ox- on Oxford Street you know it's totally different yeah. so that's I guess so interesting you know, yeah yeah but I I'm really grateful for that that experience and also um from the complete training because it actually really forced me to think in different ways i remember Mm -hmm. when i first joined the class i think professor gina she was always like after you read the article you have to come up with five questions and i remember struggling so much at first i was like what questions i i read the article i receive it and that's it. But and then mm-hmm. you really had to come up with five questions before class because she might mm-hmm. pick on you. And then yeah. it really really like squeezed it out of me. But and then since then I guess I began to think a lot more critically and in turn it um really influenced my programming and and my playing and and how I look at music as well or maybe even how I look at music as a career or how I developed mm-hmm. my career. Yeah. Yeah, Dr.
0: Yeah. Makati, I mean, Gina, she, um, yeah. she was just great. Um, you know, and she taught our intro class, but she was also in charge mm-hmm. of the program. I thought, you yeah. know, our our class was, was really a, a special class, like really engaged in a certain way. And what yeah. was so nice is there were people coming from all different areas. We had, you know, you a musician, I'm more of yeah. a writer, and I was a teacher at the time as well. And um, we had a painter, we had a lawyer. And mm-hmm. it was kind of, we talk about these questions and you know, we were all coming, we were all looking at research and looking historically at cultural studies, but we were also applying them yeah. to our own um our own mediums of artistry as well or ways of thinking. Yeah. And it, it just made a really yeah. rich class. So yeah, that was yeah. that was really cool. It was great. I yeah. saw her in um in Brooklyn when I was there in October, and it was so nice oh, to really? see her after so long. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: She's really I just loving love it there. The idea she you know brought to the class and there were just so many topics or theories I had never thought of. And I guess mm. it really influenced my work, especially um in making albums. Mm-hmm. So so far I've made three albums, two are published already. The third I'm working on the publication. And um it really influenced my choice of repertoire and how I put the different pieces together that you know the ordering or how I present the whole project itself Mm -hmm. so yeah.
0: (laughs) So what about so this this album that you're working on now what kinds of Mm -hmm. things are you including in it that you could share with us or is it kind
1: of a secret now? Oh no 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 I actually today I'm just double checking the tracks one last time before I get back to the producer and say, you know, put it in this order and That's exciting. all that. So, yeah. I could, well, this new album is called S- uh, Snow. And ironically, it does not snow in Hong Kong. And, and I <laughs> had this idea when I was trapped in Hong Kong for three years because of the extreme pandem- pandemic measures and I couldn't go out. And I was dreaming of something I literally couldn't experience in Hong Kong oh, wow I love yeah. that that's yeah that's so funny and- because you
0: know just before I left Hong Kong that was the year that there was a very little bit of snow one yeah. night I don't know if you remember it was like a- yeah
1: yeah yeah, I remember. yeah yeah
0: and and I I wrote about it last year because I found it so like you say it's just something so yeah. unexpected so magical yeah. and that you when you can't have something. You just you yearn for you dream for it and it has this kind of dreamy quality.
1: Yeah, and and I also thought actually the concept of the idea of snow itself can conjure up lots of different feelings. I think on the surface, people associate it with white Christmas, you know, joy, um, celebration, um, you know, everything being so beautiful. But actually, you know, if you live in Siberia, it's probably not. (laughs) <laughs> that much right? yeah it's like some people say pain, it's a pain so, yeah it's such and it can cause pain and you know if you're out living in the cold extreme cold somewhere and and it can conjure up loneliness and, and sadness and all that stuff so I think the idea of snow can actually um communicate or, or encapsulate lots of different feelings and states of mind and and I wanted to explore that idea and not just snow you know in association with christmas mm-hmm.
0: so yeah that's in... wonderful
1: yeah it's so much so, more than that yeah yeah so much more than that and immediately i guess when i thought about um kind of snow themed music people were like well there aren't actually that many snow themed piano pieces but i i you know, going back to what I said earlier, you can actually um, find some pieces which just conjures up that image. For example, there's a piece um, by Tchaikovsky called Dumka. And it's just, it's subtitled Scenes of a Russian Village. So, and and how it starts, it's like really calm, but it's like in a minor sad key. And you can just imagine like, the snow falling in the village and someone just walking, you know very slow beautiful yeah and then um and because of that piece, I just des- decided to um explore more Tchaikovsky's music because he's actually okay. very well known okay. for you know the Nutcracker, you know everyone knows that orchestrals have the ballet, Swan Lake and in terms of piano, I guess, he is very well known for um, his piano concerto. But for the smaller piano pieces, apart from some pieces in the seasons, um there's a piece called June, uh, which is subtitled mm-hmm. Barcarole. That is really famous, but um in the set of you know the 12 months of the season, the, the others are not so well known. So I decided to mm-hmm. unearth kind of some of these pieces and it so happens that there is a secondhand bookshop in Mui Wo, um on Lantau Island in Hong Kong where I live and the owner's mother used to play the piano and he, he does not play the piano so he just gave a pile of music to me oh, and wow. some of them are just like Soviet looking scores of Tchaikovsky's <laughs> music. That's yeah.
0: amazing, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: And I love that you're
0: doing the, you know, it's springtime and you're bringing out this this album on snow. Well, it's springtime in the Northern Hemisphere, at least. Um, But it's, for me, it's, you know, that yearning for something else. It makes me kind of nostalgic. The other, It's really turned into spring here in Basel. And I just came back from a ski trip and I felt Mm. a little bit sad. Everyone else is walking around saying, oh, it's springtime. It's so wonderful. I love the flowers. And it is beautiful. But I'm thinking, oh, I could use a little bit more snow in my life so now I've got your album to look forward to so that's great
1: yeah and you know Hong Kong you know the Hong Kong heat in the summer oh yeah (laughs) it's awful terrible (laughs) so So maybe that's a good time for it to come out people can kind of cool down through music and exactly um, yeah yeah so I decided to mix some lesser-known Tchaikovsky works with some very well-known Tchaikovsky works and Mm -hmm. Um, along with some other pieces there's a French piece by uh, the composer Claude Debussy maybe you've heard of him yeah Mm -hmm. he he wrote this little piece called the snow is dancing um, in his children's corner suite and it's like really dainty really delicate and you can just Mm -hmm. imagine like snow falling and it's like a a little bit quirky but it's I guess it just encapsulates like a, a certain image
0: Right. Um, I love that. Even yeah, even just yeah. the title and the way you explain it. Um, you know, it brings back yeah. memories from the way that you would talk on stage about the pieces before you you play them. Yeah. And, you know, and you mentioned too, um, even in your your bio that you really focus also on not just lesser-known pieces, but lesser known composers and especially women. Um yeah. how did that come about and what kinds of interesting directions has that taken you in?
1: Um, well, for My last album, my second album, I included a work by a female composer. She was an American, uh, you know, uh, African-American composer. And um, recently she's actually become quite famous. She's called Florence Price. And her music kind of um, mixes the traditional classical style with spirituals. Oh, beautiful yeah, it's and it's like there's this gospel-like quality to her music folk-like quality. And I just found that really touching. So <clears throat> I recorded the second movement of her piano sonata in my second album and it's actually one of my favorite tracks because it's just like so profound in terms of the feelings. Mm. And in this new album, I recorded a track called Arctic night by an American lady called Amy beach. And she wrote this suite called Eskimos. Um, it's actually, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually quite a simple piece to play, but if you really want to make it atmospheric it's you know, quite, quite tricky and not many people know about her or even this suite. And, but it actually fits in the theme of my album perfectly. So I, I, you know, and I always wanted to, you know, include a female composer work in, you know, my artistic output. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Is, she, is she
0: Canadian then? The, what
1: Amy was her Beach. name again?
0: Yeah. The one who wrote Amy, Amy Beach.
1: Beach. Mm-hmm. I think she's American.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, That's really interesting. No, I can't wait to to check it out. I can't wait to, to see the album yeah, and listen yeah. to it. Um, Yeah. And you know it's it's interesting. You know a few of the things that you've said already mm-hmm. about um, like studying music and what that meant about playing music for you really connects with these conversations I had recently with a couple of jazz musicians um one of them was a former student another one was actually my conductor not I wasn't playing jazz but Mm -hmm. back in the day when I played the clarinet um Mm -hmm. and they had I mean they had some really interesting things to say first of all about studying the history of jazz and the people who made and make jazz what it is really influencing the way that they play and I can hear that from you know what you're saying and then um they also talked about you know, creativity being connected with improvisation, and one of them mentioned also how with classical music the cadenzas um, used to be improvised. So, yeah, I just wonder. You know, do you do you use first of all any improvisa- improvisation when you play, and how? And if you don't, or or if you do, either way, how do you see creativity coming into the way that you play classical music? As well, yeah,
1: a very good question um i guess the practice of improvisation has been phased out in modern day you know classical mm-hmm. music playing but i guess the challenge for us is in classical music the score is king you know you have to really study the score so that's how it deviates from jazz but i i guess the fun it lies in how you are creative within the confines of the score, without deviating away from the style. And I think that's where the human touch really comes in. I mean, you've got to play in that exact rhythm, you've got to play those exact notes, but how you play that chord, how you approach it, like you can use, for example, for piano, you can approach it with a different speed, different weight, different type of attack. Mm -hmm. different weights of your arms or your wrist or whatever it's just and and then you can actually create a lot of colors which are unique to you because you know how you play can only be you know done by you because that's right it it all relates to your physical makeup and and all Mm. that and your and how you feel the connections between the notes and how you use it pedal for example I, I guess sometimes it's like an overlooked thing people think about piano playing they think of the fingers but the the right pedal actually can create a lot of color so can the una corda the soft pedal and you know okay. with that combination imagine I mean I, I guess you know the combinations are just endless right and I guess that's the, that's the fun of it you know or for some very complex music, there may be lots of lines each, um interweaving in and out at the same time and it's up to the artist to bring out which one they feel that works mm-hmm. and, and, and how they bring it out, how they, you know, view the phrase, you know, uh, do they view this climax here or at a different place? So, you know, I think that's what we're always trying to do to make the most convincing thing out of the score we have And it, yeah it. it
0: sounds so you know it's so personal and even physical the way you talk about it a lot of oh, the yeah, totally. reasons you totally. said with the body whether its the feet or the fingers and how you're yeah. expressing your your voice really through through the piano yeah. and it's amazing you know, want... like watching you play it it looks like a dance when i watch you play as well you know you can yeah. you can see the music and the in the physicality as well that's really yeah, interesting
1: actually, playing the piano a lot of it is choreography because, mm. because when mm-hmm. things become very complex you have to jump large distant distances and you have to be very accurate or even gymnastics because it's you know you're hand crossing and doing all sorts of things so it's it is like a dance and yeah. once I met someone and he said What's the point of playing any more Beethoven? Because like his stuff has been around for hundreds of years, and so many people have played it. There cannot possibly be another way that it can be different. And I totally disagree with that because like we're all human beings and there are like billions of us and we're all different. So everyone mm-hmm. has, you know, different feelings and you know, so I, I think. I think it's just, like, I, I love the possibility of it, I, and, and yet we're working with greatness, you know? There's, like, this great Definitely. work of art. I mean, like, Beethoven wrote it, but it never ends because people keep performing it in different ways, juxtaposing it with different works and exploring different things or background, you know, about the pieces. So, So I think I really like that side of creativity which I know mm-hmm. is definitely different to jazz but I yeah. like to have like you know y- y- you have like a border you you work within you know
0: nice yeah no I mean that's that's interesting it's like the piece takes on a life of its own through the yeah. musicians um yeah. and do you and I know you do a lot of of teaching as well master class work and you have your mm-hmm. own students do you how do you approach this kind of creativity with the music with with your students Do you talk about it a lot? I
1: I ask them a lot of questions, which I know may be a bit different from um, the general type of teaching in Hong Kong. You know, like, I mean, you've Mm -hmm. worked in Hong Kong, people prefer Mm -hmm. kind of more didactic way of teaching, but I actually want to train the students to think for for themselves. So at first I would just ask them, like, what happens in the music here? Because I think sometimes if you don't stop to think about it, you can just be like just playing things kind of going along with emotions, just moving your fingers, but not really noticing all the nuances or or the little changes in the music. And I want them to start to see that for themselves because only then they can start to make their own interpretations. Because I don't want to teach them forever. I always say like my goal (laughs) is One day that you don't need to come here anymore, and they were like, "No, no, I no, 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 keep going." I was like, no. <laughs> "Oh, that's so sweet." <laughs> no, but I love
0: that because yeah. you're you're telling them right away. Um, you know, you have your own personal expression, and I, I want to hear that. It's not just coming from me. It's not just coming the masters, and that's actually mm-hmm. something else you have in common with the jazz musicians. Um, mm-hmm. that I talk to is that it's yeah. you know a lot of it is about teaching students as well. Is about helping them to, to really feel free in their expression. So that's great.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> maybe we can not really switch gears a little bit, but going to the more the kind of the broader question. And I think it relates to perhaps what you were just talking about. Um we get into that idea that you wanted to talk about of what it means to be an artist. Mm-hmm. What do you think
1: it is? Well, I just want to start with you know, what people have um, in terms of impressions of an artist. Like, often I would hear, like, oh, you know, they're kind of erratic or, like, have extremes of emotions. They're not entirely rational. They have, they have like, this obsession and they're, like, slightly abnormal. And, and I think that's how a lot of films, especially, you know, maybe Hollywood oh, yeah. films, have portrayed artists. <laughs> and, like, and I guess... Um, and I guess maybe there are some people like that, I'm sure, but actually, um, just before we started chatting, I I looked up on Google, um, what it means to be an artist. And then it listed, um, on this website, several points, like persistence, patience, passion, sense of adventure and discipline, which are like total opposites of what, a conventional image of an artist is because like if you really want to perfect your art you a you know that you never reach perfection Mm -hmm. but yet you still devote like all your life to to it you know hours and hours Mm of of very careful well-considered practice and you've actually Mm -hmm. got to be very disciplined And I think people have an idea that, oh, you know, like inspiration just came one day and then he or she couldn't stop writing the music and it became a masterpiece. But actually so many people, so many composers like work with a small idea and then they turn it around, they experiment with it so many times. You can see it in like composers drafts, like each. You know, each composer works differently. I guess Mozart was a bit different. He, it really just flowed from his brain. But I, I guess, you know, we don't get many of those, um, <laughs> even in, in, you know, or several centuries. So I guess it, a lot of it has, you know, a lot of artists have a, a tremendous sense of discipline, which people don't realize, right. you know, and you have to sacrifice a lot in order to have time to get on with the work or to keep working on it and you have to have a lot of patience and and you've and especially for performers I think when you get on stage you really have to have like the courage of a lion because you know if if you're a solo concert pianist you're on the stage alone with this huge nine foot instrument and the practice or solo piano recital is that you have to memorize the whole program, which is often, you know, an hour and a half. And all you have are your fingers and your brain and, and like thousands, hundreds or thousands of people watching you, how do you deal with that kind of pressure? I think that, that's another That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so how, I guess I mean the- how
0: how many I mean it's 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 a huge undertaking. Um when you have like a concert like that coming up. How long do you spend practicing? How do you, how do you fit that into your life? I mean, is it, it
1: like, well, I, I guess if you have a very important recital, you really have to just put down everything else in your life mm-hmm. because you don't have the headspace. Do you stop about. teaching
0: for a while when you're when you're doing yeah. something big like yeah, that? You, yeah.
1: yeah, 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 because you just okay. have to make sure you have enough rest and that right. you don't over work yourself and you still have the headspace to you know be critical and it's not just about actually physically playing you have to study the score you have to record yourself and then make Um, notes you have to go and play to other people and you know do research on the backgrounds of pieces and, and keep you know physically and mentally fit and so I guess that's why maybe some artists do go crazy because the pressure is so immense yeah you know and they have this pressure of oh what if I don't what if I mess up it's gonna really destroy the reputation I've built up for you know the past 20 years or something Mm -hmm. and and some people maybe they can't cope with that
0: and I think you know what you said is really important I find this with my writing practice too your devotion to it is also devoting yourself to the time off and the rest because if you mm-hmm. don't, and I find this with the writing too. If I if I do it for too long, I just I do yeah. feel a bit crazy after. You're kind yeah. of your your head is swimming physically. You feel um, you know, you feel off. You don't feel healthy. It's so you need to kind of find that balance somehow. So still have the, all the time to devote to your rehearsals and write all the yeah. practice that you need, but also yeah. the time off. Yeah. That's really difficult. So would you say you've talked both about aesthetics and ideas in your own artistry and how they go together. Would you say that one is more important than the other when um, you think of an artist and and who they are? Or do they just go hand in hand?
1: I think they go hand in hand.
0: for Mm -hmm. sure. Hi, everyone. We're back. We just had to pause for a second because Jackie's cat made an entrance.
1: What is your cat's name? Can you tell everyone George. about her? <laughs> her name is George, but um it's a female cat. <laughs> well, like
0: Georgia, I guess. Or yeah, Georgia,
1: Georgina. Yeah.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm. What does she how does she respond when you're playing music at home?
1: She loves the piano. Like she actually I actually have to compete with her sometimes, um, because she really wants to play the piano. So sometimes <laughs> I just can't even get through a piece. She just has to jump to left of me on the piano bench and then she starts putting her paw on the piano
0: (laughs) oh wow yeah it's funny I saw even in your I had I mean you know I know you have a a cat who you love very much but um I looked at your you know your artist Spotify page and I saw that even on Spotify you've listed yourself as a as a cat lover and I just love that it's such a big part of your identity. So I imagine the cat there with you as you play. That's so nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um yeah, so okay, so we can go back to this idea about um, you know, being an artist and what does that mean? And I was also wondering, I mean, sometimes sometimes I find it's interesting when you you tell somebody, when I tell somebody I'm a writer, you know, you get all sorts of different responses. And so for you when you tell people that you're a musician, that you're an artist, do you get any strange responses or what's what do you, do you see a range? Is it typically art, interest? What would you say?
1: Seems like two different extremes. There are people okay. who are very appreciative of the arts and they're like very envious because they're probably like in a very boring job. Maybe it pays a lot of money, and but they hate it. They hate their boss. And they're like, oh, I really want to do something creative. And um, mm. they're kind of like jealous I'm doing what I love, I guess. But there are people who just can't imagine that you get paid to play the piano like especially in hong kong um i guess people are just like oh you know that just means you you teach a piano and i was like no i do actually perform and do you know and they don't they can't wrap their heads around right. that idea or right. they're oh, like no. why don't you play jazz like classical is really boring <laughs> And you're like, well, come
0: to a concert and you can Yeah, you can yeah.
1: So but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have that what kind of before, yeah?
0: Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, I was just wondering, do you have those kind of conversations with your students or maybe their parents if they're if their children still about? Um, you know, is where what does this music what does it mean in their lives? Is it just kind of a hobby that's gonna fall by the wayside? Is it something that they're gonna continue? Do you ever see that kind of conflict?
1: um mm, I guess for some, you know, when the academic work really gets heavy um they do have to stop, but they would keep in touch with me and tell me that they still play they still play the piano in their free time and oh, that's great And I guess then I've done my job right because I'm I don't just want to train musicians, you know, I just want to train people who actually, really knows how to appreciate it and will go to concerts and just you know understand the value of of this thing and I guess also playing or learning a musical instrument you know you you learn um along with it different skills like time management and discipline and and having an eye for detail and you know all, all that stuff so I feel like I'm contributing to something greater than just moving the fingers on on an instrument mm,
0: that's mm-hmm. wonderful yeah I mean do you think you know that kind of kind of gets to the question of why why do we need artists in the world you know some people might say it's kind of a, a selfish pursuit that um you know it's it's enjoyable for the it's a lot of hard work but it's enjoyable for the artist what does it do for the rest of the world besides the artists themselves
1: well, I think arts can express a lot of things, ah profound or or complex feelings that words cannot hmm. it's, it, it's just kind of quite abstract in a way, and it can be interpreted in so many ways. So, for example, a work of art can inspire people to look at things from a different angle. And I think in our world now it's like increasingly binary like so people are either mm. this camp or that camp and then you know they might start to learn to see things in a different way but although they're looking at the same thing and especially um in Hong Kong for the past few years I've been very impressed impressed by some shows I've been to I'm not going to say which or or, or or some films because for me it has a very strong message. Um, about, you know, certain things, but for some, they just take it as face value. So I think maybe by watching such a film or such a show, you kind of find some outlet for your pent-up feelings and, you know, uh, or, you know, ways of expression and opening up a conversation to talk about it um, rather than, you know, just reading the news or something. You can Mm. find a different angle. And that's um, really
0: interesting, yeah, no, and even the yeah. way that you talked about your your upcoming album, Snow, you know you talk about it in a really nuanced kind of way. And then, you know, you can talk about politics in a nuanced way. You can, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's it's easier to talk about an idea or an emotion, as you said, you know, maybe grief, for example, um mm. or sadness, more yeah. specifically, as an emotion, and kind of exploring that through art, it's never going to be just one thing it's multifaceted isn't it so yeah
1: and what I find great about music is you can um like a group of people can perform one piece of music or a concert without Mm -hmm. speaking each other's languages yes oh yeah that's beautiful together you know and there's this orchestra called um let me just get the name west eastern divan orchestra and it brings together all these young musicians in the Middle East and you know how much conflict there is, but yet when they play music, they can all sit together and they can discuss music. Isn't that really wonderful?
0: That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there's the
0: language of music. And then there's also the community um, of the the people that are brought together.
1: Yeah, they revere the music so much that they put aside their political differences and and they get together, rehearse and spend time together and and present concerts. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that really shows the kind of intangible value of music, do you you think? Okay, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I think, so I was going to jump to actually the, the,
0: oh, no, sorry, go ahead. I
1: mean, I mean, you There's can't, you know, put a value on it. You can't say, oh, this is worth three billion dollars. But you know, it just does something very important. It's like a lubricant in, in society, isn't it?
0: That's great. Yeah, no, and actually, I'm happy you said that because I wanted to talk about two short passages from the book. I don't think you've read the book that I had yeah. on Instagram, yeah. but just <laughs> just some some passages from this book. And the protagonist is um she's an art student at an art school um, Mm -hmm. and she comes from a poor family and she finds herself surrounded by mostly um, very rich students, exposable income and going off to be artists and having um, ideas that aren't dependent on making money at all. And for her, her art is also very dependent on making money. Otherwise she has to, go home and live with her mom and try to find something to get by. Right. So, um, I mean, there was this, this passage when her, her friend who does come from a well-off family says, uh, if you want to win the lottery right now, would you continue working on the art you're currently working on? And the protagonist, um, is concerned with the actual acquiring of the lottery money, like all the details about it. Um, so she's kind of thinking, how would I get it? And would I be, Would I be famous with my friends want the money? What would happen? And but her friend goes on to say if the answer is no, it was never art. So in other words, she's saying you shouldn't do art because of the money. So what do you think about that? What what is this difficult relationship with art and money?
1: I guess sometimes if you just do it for the money, it deviates from what you truly want to do. So I guess in a way you're still producing art, but it might be inauthentic to yourself, if that yeah. makes sense. No, that does. Because, just... because you'd have
0: to reach a certain audience who yeah. wants to pay, essentially, right? Or a marketing yeah. that
1: wants to pay. Yeah. Yeah. So you might be playing certain pieces or or playing in a certain way because it suits the public taste, but it might go against how you truly feel, <laughs> Um, as an artist so I guess that that's the conflict but I guess that's really difficult (laughs) actually producing that art or performing that piece of music I guess you won't do it really badly just because it's for commercial reasons right you still put all your training into use and you still make it good but Mm -hmm. it just might go against your own you know thinking or what you really feel that you want to play or present,
0: right? I guess ideally you would just have total freedom, right, as an artist to to do what um, you want and why. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you should, I guess. But I sometimes quite enjoy a challenge. You know, sometimes if I work with other musicians, they have already chosen the works, and then so you know, okay, these are the works I have to play, and it's up to you to fall in love with them. It's mm. up to you to find out more about them and and just dig deep into it and and I like that
0: that's so So. nice and that's I mean that's almost you know more about collaboration with other artists rather than like um I guess being being commissioned to do something can also be a challenge it could be an exciting thing to to take up but um but there's something that's really wonderful about finding kind of the intertexts that are created among the artists working together I think
1: yeah. 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 And I love playing with others because uh you discover different ideas, different ways of looking at one phrase or a certain point. And then mm. um it makes you think in a way and you're like, oh, I never thought about that before. And it influences your own music making, which I, mm. I find very valuable.
0: That's nice. Yeah, and, and I know you have several groups that you've worked with over time. So I'm sure it's Kind of shaped your artistry you have um the saxophonists that you often do
1: yeah do work with yeah. right
0: and yes. also the quartet so yeah yeah very different. sounds like those are really rewarding yeah very different experiences right
1: yeah. yeah yeah that's cool but i guess the work with the saxophonist really kind of brought like the signature to myself as a pianist that people would think oh you're the one who plays with the saxophonist you're the one who plays tango you know mm. you're the one who plays piazzola and, and you present concerts in a more artistic way. You play with lighting, you know, different colors of lighting. You you really dress up to match the pieces. And and I guess that brought me to start thinking of all that comes with you know concert presentation itself in a different way. Before mm-hmm. I would well also because I was a student before I guess like you just have like maybe one or two dresses and that's all you wear like to every concert but and then you start thinking oh, maybe like that would match that venue or you know or that kind of thing and and I enjoy you know thinking about those things
0: that's great it's and and they're all kind of they're all speaking to the audience aren't they they're they're Mm. a part of your performance they're part of the ideas they make the whole experience really much richer experience
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I don't want it to be just like I want it to be like, be like an immersive experience from, you know, the moment the concert starts from mm. from the lighting or how I introduce the pieces. I want to take you away from your normal world, you know, mm-hmm. for maybe for an hour or an hour and a half, you're like in a different zone. You're not looking at your phone. You, you know, you're just experiencing the show, the concert with, the other people sitting in the same hall and it's never going to happen again because only space and time, you know, can occur, you know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And I mean, that and that's one of the things, you know, we were we were missing in the pandemic. And I think people really started to talk about what does that live performance mean or even if it's not quite a live performance and it's going to a cinema and going to a film house and really having that immersive, as you say, experience, Mm -hmm. you know, not having all the distractions from your phone, from other people at home, from whatever it might be. And I think it's really important that we kind of sit with our brains in these spaces and and just try to yeah. Yeah. Think about things differently, go deeper, whatever it might be.
1: Yeah. I mean it's interesting. Yeah no that, and that's really oh go ahead yeah, sorry <laughs> otherwise if you're just watching something at home you're less likely to finish it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like you're much less focused and like you said if you really you're kind of you you commit to going to this you know 2 hours of your evening to go to this you're much more likely to just focus and, and enjoy it and that in right. turn makes you think of I don't know, it's unpredictable what that show or or museum piece would make you right. think, but at least like the, the key is that immersive focused experience.
0: Right. No, that's amazing. And I think, and it also, it's it's the immersive experience and it's also the collective, as you say, you're going with other people, with an audience, you know, and actually that's the, the last um, question I wanted to ask you about. You've talked about it a little bit implicitly, Already, And I wanted to look at a short passage from this book again. Um, but it's about, you know, art being alienating versus community building. And a lot of artists, I think, are seen as, and maybe do feel this way, really isolated, um, you know, practicing or creating many, many hours on their own. Um, and I think the question that the the book brings up is, are... If an art, if an artist isn't necessarily reaching enough people, are they, are they kind of losing something? So, I'll, so remember, this girl is in art school, so she's kind of like trying to find her way and figure out what this means in the greater scope of things. And so she, she has this little sketch. It says, "A short film by my inner monologue, me." It's written as a screenplay. Me, hi, I'm Joey, and I'm cultivating a relationship with art in an attempt to alienate myself from everyone around me. Image of me pulling a large and disgusting wad of something out of the bathroom drain. Pull back to show me photographing a clump of hair and drain gunk. Me, and it's working. Close up of my reflection is the mirror, in the mirror as I wink. And so she's constantly trying to find new ways to express herself through art and then always questioning if it's actually going to reach an audience. She's working mostly with um, film and painting, so visual arts. Um, But I think she she feels um, afraid that it's always, these ideas are always going to stay within her. So how do you kind of grapple with that tension of the isolation and the community and feeling like your work, all this work that you've put into a show is actually going to reach the audience that it's intended for?
1: I think, I guess that's the unpredictability of art. You actually don't know which, piece of art or which work would suddenly just touch millions of people or, you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you would um, become very popular I guess just stay true to yourself you know like if you keep pursuing it and and keep working on it keep improving and and keep finding ways of expressing what you believe in I think you will find your audience but just understand that the part that, you know, um, part of being an artist that it is that you do have to spend quite a bit of time by yourself because otherwise you can't really perfect your art. So I think that's just the way of life of an artist. We don't live very kind of so-called normal nine-to-five lives. You just got to accept that, you know, and and maybe people around you need to accept that. Um and then just just keep it if you really believe that thing will really work and and I think you will find you know appreciative audiences I love that
0: yeah it's it's authenticity and it's yeah. it's really expressing a kind of vulnerability to share that authenticity with others um, and I think you're right you know it's not it doesn't mean that that everybody's going to love it but you're yeah. going to find people who connect with you if you're, if you're true to yourself. So, yeah,
1: you can, you can never have everyone 100% love your work. They're always going to be critics. I think that's mm-hmm. another thing you have to live with. You can't mm-hmm. expect that. And I, at least for me, I feel like maybe in the short term, you might find commercial success if you just do something someone tells you mm-hmm. would work which is against your own you know beliefs um but I don't think that's long lasting
0: because right. eventually
1: you burn out because it's, it doesn't come within you you're just kind of doing a job in a way mm-hmm. so I think just just stick with it I know I know it can be challenging but I think if you truly are passionate about your field then you should you should just I yeah, I guess if you're truly passionate, then somehow it will work out. You'll you'll find that it will work out. Like I know it's easy to give up, but and and lots of people will criticize you and and all that, but take that, you know, in your stride and you know, maybe you do need to improve in that area and then you'll become a better artist.
0: That's such a great message for (laughs) all the budding artists out there and even people who already consider themselves artists so I mean this has been so fascinating you have so many wonderful ideas about artistry and you have such a really interesting career so thank you so much for sharing your ideas with us here um, and for all of our listeners you can find links to Jacqueline's website that include concerts recordings and master classes as well as links to her music on Spotify And additionally, you can find a link to this publication on Substack, where you can sign up for free to read the latest articles and join our community conversations. So thank you again. And thank you for listening to the Matterhorn podcast. have a wonderful day, everyone.
1: Thank you, Kate. Bye, everyone. Bye, Jackie.